and God's put a call on me and, and it's, been, it's been hammering away at me like, like a jackhammer for, for a few years now particularly since we moved to East End Park. But there's been, there's been instances of, um, of, of God saying it externally as well as inwardly. Um, and that is, that is a call to evangelism. That is a call to be evangelistic. That is a call to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. So as I'm talking about me, I'm also talking about you. So, so God has, has, has put that on my, on my life, but I think, I think he's putting it on me in, in, in a greater measure. In fact, Stu, I don't know when it was, he prophesied over to me. We were down in Leicester. It might have been January this year. I don't know, a global legacy thing. And, and you, prophesied, you prophesied evangelism, or again, gifted an evangelist, actually, over my life. Uh, it's the wind of God. Hammering that home. Um, and clearly what that does is, when you've, when you've got a call like that that's starting to be cemented and, and you're leading a local church, then, then that's going to begin to flavor what happens within that local church. It's inevitable. If you lead something, then a flavor of you will, in, will, will, will bleed into that thing that you're leading. So, so I'm leading this local church with others. And, and, and so, so that, that evangelistic fervor that, that, that is in me is, is going to come out. Um, and... and uh, it is, it is something that, that as a church, we need, to, we, need to be, we need to be really stepping up and stepping into um, as, as we move further into 2018 and beyond into 2019. Uh, and in fact, being on holiday, even though I, I've, I've, I've tried to kind of switch off from everything, you can't switch off from God, can you? That's, that's pretty much impossible. Uh, and, and God has still been talking to me about evangelism about, and, and reading all sorts of books. You know, for those of you who know me well, know that apologetics is, is is a, is a, is a um, uh, so, so, what's that? It's light reading. It's light reading. Yeah, if you saw it, yeah, yeah. Apologetics at the Cross, I think, was the book I, I did. I love apologetics. If you don't know what apologetics is, it's simply it's not apologising for something. It's it's being able to present um, um, the faith that we have in a reasonable way to to others who don't believe. Uh, and if, I think it's in either one Peter or two Peter. Uh, he talks about bringing your faith uh, in, a, in, a, in a have a reason for your faith uh, and present it in a, in a good and gracious way. It's something like that anyway. It's Mark's paraphrase of that. And, and so I love apologetics. So it's answering questions like, why, why do I trust the Bible? You know, what, why, do, why, do, why do we have the Bible that we have? You know, um, what does Jesus really say about homosexuality? If he said anything at all, what does God say about marriage? What does all these kind of, uh, what does he say about, but all these big kind of questions you, you can begin to answer through the, the, the uh, I call it art. I don't know, the, the study of apologetics. Because all these things are answered within Scripture, uh, and you can also find them outside of Scripture as well to reinforce what Scripture says. So I love apologetics, and I see apologetics as, as a very evangelistic thing. So, yes, that, absolutely, God, God takes people on that final kind of hundred yards, doesn't he? he, he the Spirit is, is, is the one that, that works at people's hearts that really turns them to him. But on their journey towards that, we can give intelligent, reasonable people intelligent, reasonable answers to questions of their faith. Now, I, I understand for everybody it's not your thing. I, I get that. And, 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 you know, you'd lean more towards kind of, well, let's just spend time in the Spirit and what the Spirit saying. And that's all good as well. But I believe those two things work together. And they work really well together. Uh, and we build that towards it. So that's, that's been a massive call on me. And, and, and over, the, over the years, I've, I've presented kind of apologetic talks. And I've even done an apologetic group at my home for a little while, which was reasonably well attended, actually. 
Um, but just coming back to, to the word from Stu, and then just before I went on holiday, um, well, Stu said something else, uh, a life group, or it was, maybe it was a Sunday morning, and he just went, bacon butties on the green in Eastern Park, let's present that to people so we can begin a conversation with people. We hadn't, you hadn't nailed down the details, you just felt this, this, this urge, this, this, this desire to just want to do something that gets us engaging with people outside of church. And so, so that was one thing. So, okay, shoot, yeah, get that, all right. Immediately I jumped to, well, health and safety and, 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 and data protect and all that kind of stuff, which you have to work at that, unfortunately. That is a society we live in. But we can be doing something like that. We begin, and and it, it, my heart leapt when Stu presented that. It's like, wow, brilliant. It's not just, I feel like it's not just me that has got this desire burning within them. You know, to, to actually physically hear that to, with my ears, to go, I, we need to be doing something. I'm like, yes, excellent. And you've brought an idea. You've not just said we need to be doing it, but you brought something with it. And then on the Sunday before we went on holiday, um, Lee, uh, uh, you know, Lee and, and Faye, who, who got, uh, 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 what is it, what's the word? Rededicated their marriage. There we go. That's something like that. And um, he just came to me at the end of the service and just said, God gave me a word. Wow, fantastic, brilliant. What was your word? He just went, Alpha. I went, Do you know what Alpha is? I immediately jumped to, to Alpha Course. You know the Christian course that helps people. Uh, it's helped over 20 million people come to faith since its inception back in the early 90s. Uh, I know it went on for a lot longer than that, but it really started to gather pace in the 90s when Nicky Gumbel took it over. I went, "Do you know about Alpha?" I went, no, I haven't heard of it at all. And I, well, I excuse me for for thinking this way, but I thought that was God speaking, um, and, and and I got really excited. Again, so God is saying again, look, these, there are things you can be doing, Mark. There are things that this church can be doing that you're not doing now. You, you, you've tentatively stepped your toe in a few things, but I need you to be spreading the good news of my son. So, so that's different from just doing good things. That's different from doing good social works. You know, it's, it's different from doing what we've done in the past, you know, with, with messy church and, and all those things. They're great and they're helpful. But, but he, wants to be, he wants us to be much more direct in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, I believe that. I, I, I believe that. So, so that's what God has been speaking to me. Now, if, if you want some definitions of evangelism, I'm going to help you out here. Uh, I read in a blog post from crossway.org. Seems like a good website. I haven't checked out the rest of it, but maybe you might want to. Um, and it had a list of things of what evangelism is. And, uh, but the final two, final two points really spoke to me. So that's the first one was evangelism is designed for the church and the church is designed for evangelism. I'll read what that means. <laughs> A healthy church with a culture of evangelism is, a great, is, is the key to great evangelism. Jesus did not forget the gospel when he built his church. In fact, a healthy church is meant to display the gospel. Think of the ways that the gathered church displays the gospel. We, we sing the gospel. We, we see the gospel in, in what they call the sacraments, you know, the bread and the wine and what have you. Um, uh, we, we hear the gospel when we preach and when, when we pray. A healthy culture of evangelism does not aim at remaking the church for the sake of evangelism. Instead, we must highlight the way God designed the church to display and proclaim the gospel simply by being the church. Is that a good, good explanation of that? Well, the second one that I liked was evangelism is undergirded by love and unity. I'll read what I mean by that. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in that same bit of scripture, it says, he prayed that his disciples would be unified, quote, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
Jesus says the love we have for one another in the church is evidence that we are truly converted. And when we're unified in the church, we show the world that Jesus is the Son of God. Love confirms our discipleship and unity confirms Christ's deity. What a powerful witness that is, eh? So God keeps bringing me back to this evangelism. Which you can also simply just describe it very quickly as this. The spreading of the Christian gospel by public declaration or personal witness. This is summed up as easy as, as that. It's, it's this evangelism thing. It's, it's like, a, it's like a, 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 something knocking at my door. It's like an itch that I can't quite scratch. You know, it, it, It's a hunger that I, I can't satisfy. The idea that, I, that we, that I, I need to be out there telling people about Jesus, it's always there. It's just, it's just there. Just pushing its way into, my, into my, my everyday thoughts. Now, I release some of that pressure. I do admit I release some of that pressure through social media. That helps me release some of that kind of evangelistic fervor that, that I've got. I share snippets of, of Jesus and his word. I invite people to, to church. My problem is... My problem is my social media circle is full of Christians who already go to church or already believe in Jesus and are probably born again. Most of them have an intimate relationship with him. The solution to this problem is very simple. I need to, I need to go be with people who don't know about Jesus. And I need to get out there and I need to what? I need to recognize that he makes me brave. And then I need to go and tell people about Jesus. Not in, in again, in, in just a socially good thing, which is good, and Jesus calls us to do those things. But to actually open my mouth, use words, and tell them that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that he rose again, so that they can now have eternal life with him. That's what I need to do. So how are we to move forward, church? How are we going to grow as a church if, if, we, if we don't step up and step out in, in, into our evangelistic uh, um, edge that, that we, we, need to be, we need to be on? We, we, we're not. Well, what are the, some of the things we can put in place is, is a question. How, how, how are we going to reach people? I think, I think one approach is to recognize the context in which we live. Re- recognize the world in which we live. Okay, I'm going to go into that a little bit more in a bit. But if, if we think about that, think about that. Because Apostle Paul from Scripture gives us a good example of how you do this. All right, I'm going to read from Acts 17, from verse 17. So if you want to turn to it, go for it. Acts 17, verse 17. Uh, and in this bit, Paul quotes and references philosophers and thinkers that the people who he's speaking to knew and trusted. All right? Uh, and he does so... When, you, when we read this together, he does so by, by being respectful, first and foremost. He respects people, uh, uh, and he uses, but he uses their arguments and their ideas to, to point people to Jesus in an effective way. In other words, he used the culture in which he found himself to, to help people understand the message of the gospel. So with that in mind, let's, let's read it together. I, I just love reading scripture. If you remember, a year or so ago, I, I posited the idea to you that I'd love to get together with a bunch of you, maybe in a cafe somewhere, and just read scripture together. I had two people tell me they want to do that. So either you didn't have time or you don't care about scripture. I, I think you'd, I'm hoping you just didn't have time. And, and, but let me encourage you to continue reading scripture for yourself because it is so important. But Sunday, 
gives us a wonderful opportunity to read the word together, doesn't it? All right, so here we go. Um, it's from, uh, from verse 22, actually, not 17. I beg your pardon. Oh, here we go. So Paul stood in the middle of the leadership council and said, Respected leaders of Athens, it is clear to me how extravagant you are in your worship of idols. For as I walked through your city, I was captivated by the, the many shrines and objects of your worship. I even found an inscription on one altar that read, To the unknown God. I have come to introduce to you this God whom you worship without even knowing anything about him. Can you see what Paul's done already? He's taken what they do, what they, and he's done it respectfully. He's not shouted it down. He's not called it evil or demonic or anything like that. He's just said, these are the things that you do and you see. But I, I've noticed you've got this one called the unknown God. But let me tell you what I believe that unknown God is. And so he goes on to say that the true God is the creator of all things. He is the owner and Lord of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And he doesn't live in man-made temples. Okay, he's beginning to just slide into their thinking here. What, what, where, where does your God live? Where does your God live? Because my God lives not where your God lives. He supplies life and breath and all things to every living being. He doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him. Remember, they're, they're worshipping idols. They're bringing him sacrifices. If they don't bring him sac- the, the gods, or he or she, if they don't bring them sacrifices, then that god will, will get angry with them or will go elsewhere. As if that god is dependent on what they, they bring him. Well, our god isn't, is he? Our god's dependent on nothing. We are dependent on him. So he goes on to say, he doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply him. For he has all things and everything he needs. From one man, Adam, he made every man and woman and every race of humanity. And he spreads us over all the earth. He sets the boundaries of people and nations, determining their appointed times in history. And he's done this so that every person would long for God, feel their way to him and find him. For he is the God who is easy to discover. It is through him that we live and function and have our identity. Just as your own poets have said, just as your own poets. So he's now referencing their literature. He's referencing their philosophers. He's read what they say. He's taking time to understand the culture of which he's read up. He's not just taking a day trip. He's sat down and investigated what they believe. And he starts to quote their own poet back to them. Your own poets have said our lineage, lineage, lineage comes from him. Since our lineage can be traced back to God, how could we even think that the divine image should be compared to something made of gold, these things that they give them, silver or stone, sculpted by man's artwork in clever imagination? I'm going to stop there. So, so Paul is using what he knows of that culture, of which he has investigated, of which he has, in a sense, become a part in, in so much as that he, he wants to understand where they're coming from. And tells them that God, using that, tells them that God is, is the one true creator, the one true being. He gives them the good news. I think, when I, when I think about our culture, I'm going to read you some, a blog post in a moment, but um, I, th- I think you can, you can identify where we're at in terms of what our morals are, what our, our, what our thinking is, what the current zeitgeist is of the moment. And I want to I present that to you. Uh, I want to help us understand that better by showing us two commercials. Okay, one from the 1950s, I believe, or 1960s. It's in black and white. I can never decide. Is it 50s, 60s? I don't know. And then one from, one from very recently. All right, so are, are you settled, children? Okay. Okay. 
Mrs. Flash is coming your way. Hello, I'm Mrs. Flash, and this is my special house on wheels. I'm coming your way with exciting cash prizes and these wonderful free Flash sponge mops. All around your town, you'll be seeing the special Mrs. Flash fans. We'll be visiting hundreds of streets in this area during the next few weeks, calling on housewives everywhere. So if you can show us a large packet of Flash and answer a simple question correctly, we'll give you two pounds and a free Flash sponge mop. And if you have two large packets or a giant packet of Flash and answer the question correctly, you'll get ten pounds and a free sponge mop. So be ready if I call on you. Make sure you have some Flash in the house because it could win you an exciting prize. And remember, Flash cuts cleaning time in half. Buy Flash now, for Mrs. Flash is coming your way. Think back to that, that first, the, you, can, you can blank screen that if you will, otherwise it'll flicker on the, uh, on the video. Think back to that first advert and then compare it to the second advert. So shout out, what, what are the differences? What, what, what's coming to mind? I mean, there are some obvious ones, and please shout those out. All women were expected to be at home. Yes. Cleaning floors constantly. All right, anything else? What are the differences from the, in those two? Yes, Mike. The jump. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, but you could win ten pounds. Sounded Scottish. I can't do. I can't do the reserved English thing. Whatever it is, ten pounds and a mop. Yes, the accent has changed. Yeah, indeed. Okay, what else? I'm looking at this this side as well. Can you give me some different? But pound notes. Yes. Yep. 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 Okay. Good. This good difference. Any more? Yep. The first one. The woman. Okay, so the first one, the woman was a, it was, it was a woman. It was all women, wasn't it? The second one, it was a bloke and a dog. And a dog. Uh, a talking dog. Yeah. Uh, any, anything, anyone shout out any other differences between those two adverts? One was in black and white, was in colour. Yeah, that's an obvious one. Thank you, Cornelius. I knew you were going to say that one. Great. So the first one was very informational. The second one, based on humour. Yeah, yeah, that's a good difference. And the first one was the, the, the urge to buy, was the reward to buy the flash, was the, um, the price. The cash. The cash, And the mob. Okay, so the first one was about what you can get for it, not necessarily on performance, whereas the second one was look what it can do. Which kind of thinks, do you think maybe those clean products weren't that good, actually, maybe? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rizan. That's right. That's good. Good. I didn't see Jesus in either of them, but I do get what you're saying. Yeah, that's good. Yes. The music. Yep. There was no music in the first one. It was all music in the second one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Second one implies that blokes are superheroes. Well, there is another version with a woman and the same dog. Uh, and and the, the other dog. Uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a, the woman. It, actually, it, it makes her to be a superhero as well. It, it really did. So it goes from, oh, yeah, the housewives are at home <laughs> with their mops uh, to say, well, I'm, I'm a woman, I can do anything. You know, it was, yeah, it was, it was like that. But I wanted to show, I, I could have shown that one, but I wanted to show a, a, a very much a sexist difference between uh, 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 the first one and the second one. Now, let me ask you a question. Do Flash still sell cleaning products? Yes. Yeah. So in the first advert, they sold cleaning products. In the second advert, they were still selling cleaning products. Their message is the same. At its heart, the message is the same. Buy this stuff and your house will get clean. You'll be able to clean your house. But they presented it into entirely different contexts. It was of the time. It was of the culture. That housewives were expected to be at home. Look after the children and clean the kitchen. Now, ironically enough, I, I have discovered that the women statistically still have the final say about what gets spent for the home. The, the, what's that? They st- I'm not going there. I'm not going there, Sarah. Statistically, it is. It, 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 it is. Women do most of the clean. They, they tend to statistically, they're still at home. They're still actually having the final say of what you buy. So even though these products, even though that was a man, you'll find that most of the products still actually sell to women. So, so don't think it's a sexist thing. It's just women are still doing the thing at home, and, and they, they know they're the ones with the, the purse strings. I'm not going to get too much into that, but I just want to say that there's a difference. In, I wanted to remember there's a difference in context, isn't there? Flash is using what's, what's relevant then to sell that then. They're using what's relevant now to sell, to sell it now. I, interestingly enough, it is more informational. I, I find that intriguing what you say, Alan. It is more informational as the first one. The second one's more flash, boom, bang, ding, dong. Does that reflect our culture? That we've gone from being able to sit and examine and look and be patient and think and read to one where you go, I need this here, I need this here, I need this here. You know that microwave kind of culture or whatever, fast food culture that we've got? The second one is zing, zing, zing. I watch a, unfortunately, I happen to watch a number of YouTube videos because of where, where my children are in their lives. And, and they're all shouty, and all the people that are on it, and there's young people, and they're all there, hey, we can do this, we can do They're all like, boom, bang, bing, bosh. It's like flipping egg, chill, guys. You know, but that's what, that's what the kids are wanting. Or at least that's what they're being fed. My point is, they're different. The cultural norms are different. Kath's presented to me this interesting thing about that as well, is that it was in powder form. Yes. So you had to put it in your little bucket and mix it up and then do it. Now it's spray. It's already done for you. You don't even have to faff around with that. It's all there. It's all done for you. I want, so my point is this, is that, is that our, our, our culture changes. But we still need to engage in that culture, whether we like it or not. We, we need to engage it. So let me, let me present to you some Christian themes that are in some of most Hollywood's biggest movies. Some of you aren't going to like these movies that I'm about to say to you. And you're going to say it's evil, it's demonic, it's whatever. Now, there may be, there's truth in that, in some of them. And again, that's for a different day, a different preach, if, I, if I'm going to talk about uh, uh, that kind of thing. But I, I want to present to you, so the first one, Harry Potter, okay? I'm presenting Harry Potter. All right, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, Harry must die at the end of Harry Potter. So if you've not seen it, there you go. Harry, Harry dies at the end, all right? 
He dies at the end to, to finally defeat the ultimate evil. In the end, he's then miraculously raised from the dead to stand triumphant over evil and death. So it's a movie you might not like, a movie you might have so many objections to, but the fact is, it has a hook that we can connect with for people who need to know about Jesus. It has a hook. In Superman, who doesn't like Superman? I'm sure more people like that than probably Harry Potter. Superman comes to Earth from another planet and grows up among, in quotes, normal people. Uh, 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 and, and he's got powers, though. He's got powers. Right? Have we all seen Superman? Yeah, yeah, we've all, we've all seen Superman. When he's an adult, have you seen Superman 2? It's better than Superman 1. Neil before Zod, do you remember? You? Yeah, okay. All right. He willingly sacrifices what makes him different to save the world. In the first one, he flies around the earth and he goes backwards and time goes back. Do you remember that? And Lois, Lois Lane gets saved. It's absolute nonsense, but then again, it's Superman. I mean, who cares? So the second one, he sacrifices what makes him different to, to save the world. Do you remember this? He goes into that cubicle thing. He zaps him of his powers. And then he kneels before Zod and Zod... Yeah, he kneels... Yeah. So he might say he gives up his life. He gives up the thing that makes him him. But I think it's later, interesting because later on in the same movie, his father gives him his powers back. He goes into the same booth and instead of the booth changing him again, it changes everybody who's outside the booth in the, in the, in the Temple of Fortress. or what a, Temple of Fortress? Fortress of Solitude. And, and so his father raises him back to life and in doing so defeats the enemy. You might not like the movie, but there's a hook. There's a hook that you can get hold of and begin to introduce the ideas of, of, of death and resurrection, of fatherly love and care. Finally, in the Lord of the Rings films, who doesn't like Lord of the Rings? I'm not going to ask you. Lord of the Rings, which incidentally still has witches and things in it. Anyway, Lord of the Rings, Frodo, small person, takes on the weight, big feet, hairy, takes on the weight of suffering in the form of that one ring of power. Do you know this? And he, he is prepared, he doesn't in the end, but he is pre- because of his mate, but he's prepared to give up his life to destroy it so that what good can triumph over evil. There's a hook. There's a hook that talks about sacrifice or at least the willingness to sacrifice all so that good can triumph over evil. Are we getting where I'm going? We, we, we should use culture rather than run away from culture to help people understand the gospel. There's a lady called Amy Sherman. She's an American Christian author uh, and a speaker. And she describes the three main ways that Christians can respond to culture. This is her three main ways, okay? I think they're good. Fortification is the first one, which means we isolate ourselves. And, and we create a safe bubble away from culture. Okay, that's one way we can respond. Second way is accommodation. We, we completely follow the lead of the world and we water down the message. That's another way we can respond. The final one is, is, is domination. We fight to win the country back. So your three things there, you've got fortification, accommodation, or domination. And there are positives and negatives to each one of those. Fortification. We protect, our, this is the positive, we protect our thinking. Uh, and the potential to sin that might come from that. We, we do that. However, however, Jesus sent out his followers as sheep among wolves. Not as sheep locked safely in a barn. 
Says it, he says this, now remember, it is I who sends you out, even though you feel vulnerable as lambs going into a pack of wolves. The second one, accommodation. Positives, we're not attacked. We're not called names. We're not called bigots. We're not afraid of going on social media and expressing our thoughts because we've watered them down to be accommodating to those around us. We, we fit better into the shape that the culture wants us to be. However, Jesus never watered down the gospel message and its implications for how we should live. If you don't believe me, you just need to read your Bible. Read the red letters if you've got them. See what he says about all sorts of things which the world would very much push back against. And finally, we've got, we got positives and negatives of, of domination. We think it good to, let some, to, to get someone in a, in a place of political power who's a Christian. We, we, think, it's, we think it's good and we applaud them. And, and they'll, start, they'll start some fight to, to get our country back um, by electing Christian politicians. That, that's a good thing. And they'll work to pass laws that reflect the moral values that they cherish and that we, we share. And to an extent, I would like to see that happen. To an extent, I would like to see more Christians in the political arena that are outspoken and, and, are, not a, and, and are voting with their conscience and with their morals and, and with, with what Christ has put in them. I, I would like to see that, and I would like them not to be running scared. I'm sure there are a couple of examples you can think of right now where, where they've said something they don't actually believe. I, I probably would do that. However, however... It seems to be the most, that most Christian politicians eventually submit to voter pressure. And whatever, whatever the, the, the expected norms of the day are. Philip Yancey, who knows Philip Yancey? Okay, he's an author, he's another author, Christian speaker, American one. He suggests in one of his blog posts, and I'm going to read a bit of this blog post actually in a moment, that one of the main reasons for the decline in faith in Europe can actually be traced back to the days when the church and state worked together to dominate a culture. And though, what I mean is, though a coercive approach might work for a while, inevitably there will be pushback. So again... There's a negative to that domination thing. Let me, let me read the, the remaining part of that blog post um, and how, how we can be in the world but, but, but different to it. Okay, let me see if I've got it up on here. All right. Let me find it. I'm going to miss out a whole load. I'll give you the link in online or something if you like, but I don't know what's happening there. Okay, as, let me read it to you. It's quite a bit, but please, this is going to... They'll touch you. As our culture grows more polarized, I look for models of how to bring grace back to society in dire need of it. Now, he talks about America, but, but we're very similar in many ways, so I think we can apply it over here. American Christians have been spoiled, in a way, with our religious heritage. Historically, we're the outlier. More often, the church around the world confronts a state of affairs closer to what the early Christians faced in Rome or what Christians in China and the Middle East are facing today. With our strong infrastructure of missions, education and service organisations, I hope we in the US church, again the UK church, can demonstrate to the rest of the world a new model of pioneer settlement, showing the world a different way to live, a bright contrast to the violent, competitive, self-indulgent culture that we find around us. And for a model, I look back to the early Christians who were seeking to live out their faith in a culture far more hostile and arguably more immoral than our own. We think NFL football is violent, 
looks pretty violent, doesn't it? But they've got all that padding. Softies. Uh, Romans watch gladiatorial murder for sport. Abortion is bad enough. But in the cruelest form of birth control, the Romans abandoned their full-term infants to wild animals. Sexual immorality. Roman brothels were legal and common. And sophisticated Romans often practiced pedestry with young slaves. If you don't know what they is, I'll explain afterwards, the children in the room. So how did the early Christians respond? As a tiny minority, they showed a watching world a different way to be human. When Romans abandoned their unwanted babies, Christians organized platoons of wet nurses to keep them alive for adoption by church families. Risking their own lives, they stayed behind to nurse plague victims whose families had fled. Uh, medical missionaries are doing the same thing today in Africa. They lived out a new standard of sexual purity. After a while, Romans were impressed by the differences. The Christian beliefs and practices truly seemed like good news. I'm writing this from South Korea, a country with a strong minority, 30% of Christians, who have shown me creative examples of how to dispense grace in a secular culture. Just yesterday, I toured a beautiful new school built by a church to educate and refu- educate refugee children from North Korea. And today, I met a remarkable pastor named Lee Yong-Rak. Pastor Lee cares for a son born with crippling cerebral palsy. And it disturbed him greatly to learn that hundreds of babies born with disabilities, deafness, blindness, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, are abandoned on the streets of Seoul every year. Unmarried women who get pregnant face a strong stigma in a shame-based culture, and many of them abandon their perfectly healthy babies as well. In a response to this social problem, Pastor Lee constructed an ingenious baby box in the wall of his home. From the outside, it resembles an after-hours bank deposit box, so it's decorated uh, with children's artwork. A parent who wishes to remain anonymous can open the baby box and deposit an unopened, uh, deposit uh, a baby in a warm, blanketed compartment fitted with a motion sensor and an alarm. Thus alerted, Pastor Lee, or a volunteer, comes to collect the baby and bring it into their bustling orphanage. In the last five years, Pastor Lee has saved 561 babies who would have otherwise died. More than 100 of the newborns still had umbilical cords attached. Along the way, Pastor Lee and his wife adopted 19 of the babies, including several with profound disabilities. Pastor Lee's approach of creative grace what happened, uh, mirrors what happened in the first century. When early believers in the Roman Empire took Jesus' agenda to heart, the Christians organized relief projects for the poor and ransomed their friends from barbarian captors. Some voluntarily freed their own slaves. As I mentioned, they adopted unwanted babies and nursed the sick, including their unbelieving neighbors. In the waning days of the empire, the watching world sat up and paid attention. People flocked to the churches, which stood out as caring communities. A 4th century Roman emperor known as Julian the Apostate complained bitterly about Christians of this time, saying, these impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours as well. Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to the works of charity. His campaigns against the Christians failed, and the gospel continued to spread while Roman power ebbed. Some Christians view with alarm a modern culture that is growing increasingly secular and perhaps even hostile. I think we're already there, folks. Actually, we're simply returning to the kind of situation that confronted the early disciples of Jesus. 
And like them, we'll need to find ever more creative and effective ways of dispensing God's grace. I'm, I'm blown away by that. I'm inspired. I'm encouraged. Um, what can we do? You know? We need, we need to find, we, 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 those of us who are part of Freedom Church, not just the church in general, all right? The church in Leeds, in their own congregations and their own members, they, they'll deal with how they're sharing the gospel themselves and together through love and unity, maybe we can work together and do things together. But what we, all those of us who are part of this church, local church here, where God has called you to, has made you a part of, has, has asked you to, to, to be here and be amongst us, we need to stand up and step up and just say, how are we going to engage our culture, our community that is around us, the local community and the wider community of Leeds? How are, what are we doing to help, to help people understand, to hear the gospel and to help people understand the gospel? What are we doing? A lot of times we, it, we're not doing anything because we're, we're quite scared. It's, it's easy to do good social works and not mention Jesus. It, it's easy. It takes some time, takes some effort. It's, it's scarier in our culture to, to mention Jesus and to tell him how good he is. But if we think creatively, if we begin to go, well, well rather than me running away, Rather than me watering down, rather than me trying to dominate, how can, I, how can I, with love and grace, tell people about Jesus in a way that will make a tangible change in their lives? How, how, how are we, we going to be brave? Well, um, this is such, considering what I've just read, this is going to be such a, a wussy thing to say. We went camping on our holiday for the first genuine first time and we went for a few days a couple of years ago but we were so blessed it was sunny all the time and we had some people with us who knew exactly what they were doing and so it was, it was easy <laughs> and it's like oh this camping's easy I can do this this is okay and we went for the first time camping for two weeks again we didn't go all out I've got to be honest we weren't Bear Grylls-esque we, we had electric electricity and we had showers and it's sort of glamping I guess that kind of glamping thing. But it was still camping. We still had to set up the whole thing. We still had to work out what we were taking, buy what we needed, how we're going to cook, what we're going to cook on, how we're going to do all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and in the, f the first few days of the holiday, it was so incredibly stressful. I mean, I, two, three days. We met, we met the Ventleys surprisingly. Well, not surprisingly, because we knew they were in the area, but we met them at a shopping mall, didn't we, randomly? Um, and Gary said, how are you going? I went, I hadn't realised I was so wound up. <laughs> I hadn't realised I was so wound up, so that I had to deal with that initially. But you know, then you get into that environment where you need to put a tent up, you need to work out things out. We're on a slope that annoyed me. You know, all these kind of kind of issues. Uh, after about three or four days, we began to enjoy ourselves properly. I began to enjoy myself properly, um, uh, and and didn't shout so much. Um, but but. What, I, what I'm trying to say is, it, we we, be, we began to work at how we do this thing. Because we were brave and we stepped... I know it's such a weak example, but it works. We, were, we stepped out. We went, no, we're going to camp. There were so many people online going, no, don't camp for two weeks. That's a terrible thing to do. <laughs> oh, you don't want to do that. Forgive me if you're one of the people who said that. Um, uh, I can see how it can be if the weather's entirely rubbish and terrible and what have you. But, but we had reasonably good weather. It rained a few times and there wasn't so much wind. Um, but, but we've done it once. Because we've done it once... We now feel more equipped to do it again. 
we, we now know what kind of things we need to do, what creative things we need to do. We've come to, come, we've come to a solution for some of those things. We know not what to take. Too much baggage. We took so many clothes. Barely wore any of them. Yes, there was a washing machine on site as well. I know, it's totally not camping. Um, no river or scrubbing it or anything like that. It was, it was a proper thing. Um, but we know what to do. So as we continue to do it, we'll get better at it. It'll become less stressful. We'll become more powerful in how we do it. We, we, we had some amazing tent neighbours. Um, this is a bit of a random thing, by the way. We had some tent neighbours who were lovely, uh, and their, parents, their in-laws were with them, or one of their parents, and uh, they said, so what do you guys do? I said, well, we, uh, where do you live? I think one of the things, because we asked where they come from, and we, oh, well, we recently moved to um, uh, the east of Leeds to, to work with the community there. I didn't say church, because I just, I kind of, maybe I was fearful, I don't know, didn't mention church. And uh, the dad said to me, he said, so is that with the church? <laughs> I went, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, it is, it is with the church, yeah. Uh, and, and that's in Leeds. I said, yeah, well, my daughter uh, is part of the leadership or part of the trustees at Gateway <laughs> Church. And so they come to, and Kath knows that person. And so randomly, tent neighbours, you know, suddenly we know these, we know, we, we have connections with these people. Now, these people weren't Christians themselves. I think the parents were, I don't think the, the, the other, the, the couple who are our age, I think they'd walked away from faith, I think, uh, a, number, uh, a, a number of years ago, because he used to be a youth pastor or something like that. But I just find that great because, again, you know, opportunity to be a Christian example to our tent neighbours who might have walked away from faith. Now, you know, God, just, wow, just, just God just does amazing things. So, again, but they, they, my point is they'd been camping for centuries. So they, like, they, they knew everything and, and all the tricks of the trade. Might be. So they were great to tell us. But we will eventually become those kind of people to others that might be stressing themselves. So my weak analogy means all we have to do, folks, is step out once or twice and, and want to do it, and, 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 and I think it'll get easier. I think it'll get easier. Maybe some of us need to get back into the habit of, of purposely reaching out. Now, in that same blog post thing, the early one, crossway.org, it said that, it did say, there was one that I didn't particularly like, it said that... Um, Programs and things can be the death knell of evangelism. Well, I don't entirely agree with that. I think I, I get the point. If that's all you're doing and all you're focusing on, then yeah, I don't, I don't think that's, that's, that's not the best way to make disciples. But there's certainly opportunities to help people engage, such as Alpha. So, you know, when God's saying Alpha to you, when other people are saying, I think, how do we make this happen? How do we do it? So the remainder of 2018, our, our flavour is going to become more evangelistic and into 2019. And so I'm asking you guys, you know, Give up time, step up, step out. Um, let, us, let, us, let us be part of that journey of people coming to faith. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit does, does the end thing. Uh, you, do you know what I mean? He, he, he speaks to their heart and changes them, but we can certainly be in that process with all the gifts and the talents and everything we've got. I was going to ask you to kind of come up with creative ways of, uh, of how you might engage with culture. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, go home and think about that. Chat about it maybe in life groups when they start up again. Uh, and just think about how, how do we get... Because, okay, let me give you one last... Sorry, one final example. Love Island. Love Island, right? See, look, see, look, immediately. Oh, no. Not Love Island. Now, I wouldn't reckon... I, I, I would, as, 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 a, as a pastor of this church, don't watch Love Island. 
I'm going to recommend you don't watch Love Island because I don't think it's... I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's good. And I don't want to add to their viewing figures. Because it was, but the point is, it was in, it's unfeasibly popular. Yeah. It's all over social media. It's all over. It was all over the newspapers. It was on the news. It was, I don't understand it. I didn't get, get I didn't, to be honest, I've, I've avoided it for, for a few years now. And I've avoided it. I, I avoided it. I went into my bubble. I avoided it. Now, I'm not saying watch it. I don't think you need to watch it. You can get the idea of what it's about by reading about it. I'm talking to you, Andrew. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, right. And, and so it's, it's about relationships. It's about people trying to find, in quotes, find love. And, but they're swapping partners, as far as I'm aware. They're, they're doing this, that, and the other situations are set up for them to make it more dramatic and what have you. So you, you don't have to watch Love Island to engage with it on a cultural level. S- simple thing, say, okay, so oh, you watch Love Island, what's it about? Oh, it's about relationships, about love. Okay, cool. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I have a relationship with, with, with Jesus, somebody who, I'm not saying to be as corny as this, but you can, you can begin to think about this guy, relationship with Jesus, and Jesus is, is all about love. And, do, do you know what I mean? It's just begin to think creatively, how can I engage with that rather than run away from it? You don't have to accommodate anything, but you can, you can begin to know what it's about. You don't need to watch things on the internet that are adult-based to know what it is, do you? You don't have to do a thorough investigation of what that thing is that I'm talking about. All right? Okay. But, but you, 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 can, you can speak about it, about how, how Jesus loved people who gave themselves up that way. I'm trying to turn it down. Do you know what I mean? So just think, as, you, as you're going on from today, my, my challenge for you, as we begin to work out things to do and things to, how to engage and what have you, first off, be prepared to get engaged, okay? Spread that message, folks. Be prepared to get engaged because one or two can't do it. One or two just can't do it. It's so knackering and exhausting. It needs the body. It needs the family. It needs Freedom Church to get involved. Um, and, and, and so and that's one thing. Uh, but just begin to think creatively. Come up with ideas and things. So, Stu, bacon butties on a green. Great. Well, let's see how we can work with that. Maybe there's some other amazing ideas that you guys can think about. I'm already thinking about alpha. How might I run an alpha? How might we do that? How might we progress with it? We've done alpha a few times, and it's been amazing. Um, but again, if it starts relying on the ones or the twos, it becomes exhausting. So um, let's, let's think creatively about that. All right. Okay. Can we, can we stand? Can we stand together, guys? Let's, let's think about it. And, and uh, Stu, could you come and... Could you pray? Could you pray? Or oh, prophesy or speak what's on your heart? <laughs> That's dangerous. <laughs> um, boys and girls, brothers and sisters, um, we are in a season. We are entering a season. And I'm telling you, it is a season of evangelism. This isn't just a good idea. It happens to be God's word to us. And I believe that as we step out, we are going to find people needing God. Well, they all need him, but ready. Okay? So even if you're fearful, hey, it doesn't matter. But also, as we step out, we will step into the authority of the gospel. If you've never done that, it's the most thrilling and exciting and fulfilling thing. You become more of a person than you've ever experienced. So, yeah, you wanted me to pray. So, let, let we just say, Father, we hear your words. 
that you said, go and make disciples. But I thank you, Father, you didn't abandon us. You have promised Holy Spirit to go with us. And I thank you, God, this is the ultimate word for all humanity. We have the answer. And I thank you, God, that you give us boldness and courage as we step into the situations that may challenge. So, Father, we're asking you by Holy Spirit to water this. We pray for the communities, the people around here who we will meet and speak to. Holy Spirit, we're asking you to water their hearts. We pray and we prophesy divine appointments and we call in the harvest in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.